0: What a wonderful, wonderful way it is to conclude a day in which we have been blessed in so many ways. But tonight we have the exalted privilege of worshiping God and doing so in spirit and in truth. And we're delighted that you're here with us in the auditorium this evening. A good number has assembled. And also those who may be viewing the services tonight, we are honored to have you with us as well. Brother Barry will be coming down the aisle with a study guide. You might consider taking one tonight because we're not going to have the PowerPoint going this evening. This is a lesson that I would like to deliver by just taking the Bible, putting it before us, and uh, reading and studying what God has to say about the subject at hand. We may have visitors with us. We're honored you're here, and we urge you, as always, to search the Scriptures for yourself and to check those things that are taught. I'm having a little bit of trouble, as some of you are, with allergies and drainage and all of that, and we hope that all are feeling better. We'll be talking about those that are ill later on. We want to study tonight a lesson of a Bible character. I've always enjoyed studying people who are mentioned in the Bible maybe just at one time and others about whom we know very little. Some we do not even know their names. And it's always intriguing to study. But as with all the Scriptures, there are always lessons to learn, even from word studies, things of that nature. It may seem unimportant and insignificant, but there's always very important lessons. So be turning with me to Luke chapter 2. We're going to be studying verses 25 through 35 and talking about the man who is named Simeon. The words, of the name Simeon is quite prominent in the Bible, not as prominent as some others, but it takes us all the way back to one of the sons of Jacob and Leah. Their sons included Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah in rapid fire succession. Those four were very important. And you'll remember that uh, Simeon, was the son of Leah, who was not the chosen of Jacob, but that her father substituted her uh, on the wedding night because she was the older. And Simeon would go on to have many descendants, would become one of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel, and the word Simeon is used to describe that tribe, the tribe of Simeon, just as we would talk about the tribe of Reuben, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, whatever son it might be. The only one that really is never named in the tribes of Israel is the tribe of Joseph because Joseph's tribe ended up being named named after his two sons. So that's sort of unique. But Simeon also appears in other settings. He is mentioned as an ancestor of Christ, and this Simeon is from the tribe of Judah in Luke three verse 30. And then there is the passage, In the book of Acts, chapter 15, verse 14, wherein James refers to Simon Peter as Simeon. And no doubt Simon is a derivative of the name Simeon. So we talk of Simon Peter, but we never call him Simeon Peter. But in the King James Version, James identifies him as Simeon, the one who preached the gospel to the Gentiles, and so on. And then in Acts 13, verse 1, there is one of the prophets of Antioch, or at Antioch, the church at Antioch. and the naming of them, there is a Simeon alluded to and mentioned. So Simeon became a very prominent name. The sixth and final Simeon is the Simeon about whom we're going to be studying tonight the one who is described in Luke chapter 2. Let's read beginning in verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord Now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him, Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, a child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Immediately following this episode, Anna also bears witness to the Redeemer. It's interesting that Luke includes these two as he is developing the foundation for the information that he's going to give Theophilus about the life of Christ. And he mentions these two very important, very powerful incidents that will help lay the groundwork that there are those who clearly knew that Jesus was indeed the promised one. And Jesus is very young at this time, only about 40 days old. And so he is just a babe. He's not a grown man that they could look at, see him do a miracle, anything like that. But they know that this is the Son of God. Now, as you look at these verses, there are several things that jump out at you. You might say that Simeon was a man of position. I don't mean by that that he was a king or a major leader among the Jews. There are those who assume that he was a priest, but we are not told that he was. The same description is not given of him as given of Zacharias, the father of John, but he was a man who was in the correct position at the correct time. And it was not by accident. He was in Jerusalem and he had been waiting that denotes that he knew the Old Testament Scriptures and that all things pointed to the fact that there would be great things happening in Jerusalem. And so he was there. He evidently was a regular, if you please, in the temple. By this time, he may have been quite old. Would he live 30 more years to see Jesus crucified? Probably not. But he knew that this was a significant time in the history of Israel. He knew the Old Testament prophets had written of these things, and so he wanted to be in part. Possession is very important. Today, he needed to be then in the temple. Today, we need to be in the church, the Lord's temple today. And we need to position ourselves there and to be in Christ, which is synonymous with being in his body, which is the church. as seen in Colossians chapter 3 and also in Ephesians throughout, really because Paul continually talks in that epistle about being in Christ and clearly shows it to be synonymous with being in his body, which is the church. That's the major point and thrust of uh, the book of Ephesians. But as you think about him, this man had a knowledge of God's promises. He had gained that information through the reading and studying, no doubt, of the Old Testament Scriptures. But the Holy Spirit was also involved, so he seems to be a prophet upon whom God had given blessings to be directed by the Holy Spirit to guide him in identifying Jesus. How would he have known Him otherwise? He would not have known Joseph and Mary because they were just common people. They were very poor people. How do we know that? Because the law of Moses demanded a lamb for the sacrifice that they were about to make in the sacrifice for their firstborn son. And they could not, they did not bring a lamb. There are those who say that that reveals clearly that they were members of the lower class of people, not even the middle class as we call people today. And so they brought the turtles, uh, turtle doves and so on to sacrifice, which was allowed under the law and a distinction was made in the law the book of Leviticus so that the poor people could do the same thing before God, though their sacrificial animal was not nearly as valuable and would not require as much money. So they would not have stood out in any way as royalty or being very important folks. They did not live in Jerusalem. This was a large city at that time. They were from the countryside. And have you ever put a country boy, have you ever seen a country boy in a really large city for the very first time? I felt kind of like that in New York City. I'd been in some rather large cities, Indianapolis. I'd been in Los Angeles, some other places like that. But New York City just... I mean, it literally towers over you. And so I was quite intimidated by it. But can you imagine them being in the city of Jerusalem and they're coming to offer their sacrifices for their firstborn son. And they may not know exactly where to go, what to do, and and all of that. And there's people teeming about them. So it is clear that God had a hand in leading Simeon to know who they were and that this baby, not a little toddler, but a baby in arms, was indeed the one that he had been anticipating. So we need to have that sort of attitude. I like the description that is given of Simeon. All we know about him is here revealed. He was a man. His name, he lived in Jerusalem. His name was Simeon. This man was just and devout. The word just denotes his righteousness. The word devout denotes his devotion. Many years ago, Charles Spurgeon preached a sermon on Simeon. And he made the point in that sermon that the word just denotes his relationship to other men, to other people. His devoutness denotes his relationship to his God. He was devoted to God. Remember in Acts 10 that Cornelius is described as a devout man and one who feared God. Notice, he was devout and that uh, devotion led to his deep reverence and respect for God. He was the man who would hear the gospel preached. He already knew about God. Perhaps he'd learned that from some of the Jewish teachers. But he heard about the Christ that Simeon is here talking about. But Simeon was just and devout in his dealings. Uh, there are some comments that are, I have read about the words taken here. of uh, The words denote, the word devout denotes taking or receiving. It's based on the uh, Greek word We In my first Greek class at Freed Hardeman, Brother Woodson was teaching it and he was talking, introducing some Greek words and throwing them out just like he would an English word. And I was so overwhelmed by it because I'd never studied a Uh, any kind of foreign language. And he asked our Filipino brother, Adriano Lombawin, what the word lombano means. And Adriano uh, said without a hesitation at all, I take. And I remember we all just erupted in laughter because it was like Lombawin was saying, lombano, I take. And we were all quite amused by that in that class. Adriano went back to the Philippines and preached the gospel there and did so much great work throughout the years. He spent three years in America and never saw his family and went back to uh, teach people the gospel of Jesus Christ. But W.E. Vine describes this word or defines this word as taking hold very well. That's a really interesting meaning, isn't it? If we are devout, we will take hold very well. Accept our responsibility and do what God wants us to do to be very careful as to the presence and claims of God. I want to do what God wants me to do. That's a devout man. A just man is one who treats others like he wants to be treated. It is translated righteous in many translations because that is the concept. He does right in his life. I mentioned earlier that it is said that he was waiting, waiting for the consolation of Israel. How impatient we are. We become so impatient sometimes just at the drop of a hat. Can't wait for the light to change. Can't wait for the food to be prepared and delivered. I went by McDonald's the other morning get me a sausage and biscuit and a senior's decal. There were three or four cars in front of me. It was very early, a little bit before 6 o'clock. And I waited and I waited and I waited. And I thought, what in the world is going on? Finally, finally, first car moved. Second car moved, and then I was up there and ready to order. This very pleasant, cheerful voice came over the intercom. How may I help you this morning? What would you like? I told her what I wanted, sausage biscuit, decaf coffee. And she said, sir, it might take a little while, but we'll get to you. I said, that'll be fine. And uh, I proceeded to wait. Again, for several, several minutes. Usually that line moves pretty quickly that early in the morning. Had to go up to the second window to pay. And there was this girl just working feverishly in there, running this way, that way, every way, just back and forth. So when I pulled up to the window, she opened the window and was just so pleasant and... uh, told me that they had my coffee and so on and they'd have my sandwich in just a second. And uh, she said, I'm sorry, it's taken so long this morning. I said, well, I'm going to have to ask the manager to get you some help. And she said, I am the manager. (laughs) But she was smiling all the while. I guess the help had not arrived. And I thought, man, I would not want to have that job. I'm glad I was patient with that person that morning. After that initial contact and the pleasantness in her voice, it was all right to wait a few minutes. We need to learn to be patient, and that rubs off on other people. But sometimes we become impatient spiritually with our brothers and sisters in Christ, with one another. In the work, we need to just patiently be steadfast in the work. This man had to wait. He had received information that he was going to see the Lord before he died, and he evidently was getting pretty close to the time he thought he was going to die. And he wanted that promise to be fulfilled. Have you ever heard the saying that good things happen to those who wait? That applies here, doesn't it? He had to wait a while. And as we said earlier, he no doubt is is, is older, and so he knows that he doesn't have much time left, and he can't understand the delay. But perhaps he had other information. And so he waited. And then he took advantage. Let's learn to wait. I remember Brother Franklin Camp teaching a lesson many years ago about all the things that we can do while we wait. Most of the time, if we have to wait, we complain. He said, do not complain during those times. I remember when you didn't make appointments at the doctor's office. You just showed up and they wrote your name on a list and they took you in when your turn came. And a doctor in Gainsborough asked me one time, do you ever preach on patience? And I said, yeah, occasionally. He said, preach on it more. He said, there's a lot of these people who do not understand why they have to wait in order to get in to see me because they think they ought to just walk in, be able to walk through that door and come right on in my office, even though there's people that have been waiting here for hours. He said, people are just not very patient. I assured him I'd remember that, so I've told you about it tonight, and that was a long time ago. We need to work on being patient. Patience has something to offer. James described it as patience having her perfect work. Patience helps us to become more perfect before God. We'll never attain sinless perfection, but it will help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? It's a clear reference to God in the New King James Version. The word consolation is capitalized, large C. Just like in the verse that follows the child, Jesus. The word child is capitalized. No doubt the consolation of Israel was a reference to Jesus and all the prophetical utterances that had been been made about Him and His coming. And we're told that it had been revealed to Him By the Holy Spirit. In verse 25, the Holy Spirit was upon him. In verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death until or before he had seen the Lord's Christ. The Lord's Christ. That's an interesting statement. God had sent his Son to become the Messiah the Anointed One, the Redeemer. So in view of all of that, he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, that is to follow the law of Moses, they they understood the importance of that. They knew what the law said. Remember, there's a statement about the common people hearing Jesus gladly. I think he was one of them. Joseph and Mary would have been among the common people. So it's interesting that Jerusalem had sort of lost its way. You didn't have a whole lot of people in Jerusalem that really thought a lot of Christ when he began teaching, do you? Every time he comes to Jerusalem, what's hap- what happens? Confrontation after confrontation. People try to embarrass him. They try to humiliate him. They try to intimidate him. They want to kill him. And this is the seed of Judaism, the capital of Judaism, a place that should have been saturated with the knowledge of the law of Moses. But they didn't have that. They had their traditions. They had their positions and their power, and they felt threatened by this lowly Galilean from Nazareth who began to draw large crowds when he talked. And they feared what was happening. So they set about to discredit him and to destroy him. That's a sad picture. Remember, Jesus said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered you as a hen gathers her chickens beneath her wings? But you would not. He lamented over the city much as Jeremiah lamented over it. Centuries before. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But I want you to look at this tender and beautiful picture. When he came into the temple and the parents brought Jesus in, it is said in verse 28, he took him up in his arms. Think about that. We have a picture of W.A. out on the uh, bulletin board with the washer children on his knees. I mentioned that to Sherry, and she said that she would like to have a copy of that picture. Courtney has that on her phone. I'm going to ask Courtney to send one of those, a copy of it, our just text it to Sherry. Some of you might have a shot on a piece of paper. That would be good, too, to give it to her. We might just take her the one on the bulletin board. But there's something about people who love children. A lot of kids in our society and culture are abused. bothers me when there's an Amber Alert that goes out, and I'm sure it does you, too. I have little time for those who are abusive to children. I'm all for parents correcting them. But we know the difference between correcting and using discipline and being abusive. There's a major, major difference in the two. But Jesus used little children to teach object lessons. Teaching his disciples as he set that children in their midst, perhaps taking that child on his knee, holding that child in his arms. He said, Except you become as this little child, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. The one who becomes like this little child will be the great ones in my kingdom. Humility, the willingness to submit to the authority of God, the leadership of the Lord, and to do those things that are right. Here is a man who had had a desire to see the promised one, the consolation of Israel, and finally at last he realizes that dream. Can you imagine the joy? Well, the song, as it's called sometimes, that is recorded here lets us know that. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. It is said that doctors can tell you many stories about people who are very ill. And it's evident that the end is near. But there is something that they want to see before they die. It may be A child graduate, a child be married, or some other desire that they have. And it is said that it is amazing that so many, many people are able to live until that event occurs. And then when that event occurs, they're ready to go. That seems to be the case here. It's a very intriguing story. I can now die in peace. He did not see the full end of the life of Christ being played out. He didn't see the complete picture. He only saw him when he was a baby. From all indications, he would not have been there at the crucifixion, which would have occurred approximately 30 years later, or 33 years later. So he said, I can depart in peace. Notice this statement, according to your word. How desperate is our need to live life in view of according to God's word? He placed his trust in the promises of God And he saw that promise fulfilled. And now he was ready to go. He was ready to go. He said, for my eyes have seen your salvation. I've seen with my own eyes the promised one, just an infant. But that promise had been fulfilled, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, That's an interesting statement, isn't it? Go through the Old Testament. The children of Israel was the beginning and began the development of the coming of the promised one. The promise had been made to Abraham that through his descendants. And then it began to become narrowed down, I guess you could say, to the tribe of Judah. That would be the tribe from which he would come. Later it would be family of David, and you come right on down through the centuries. And many of the Jewish people, many of the Israelites became very impatient with it all. But you see that developed. I mentioned Brother Camp earlier, he had such a way of weaving that trail all the way through the Bible and bringing down. But he said, you have prepared before the face of all peoples, not just the Israelites. The Egyptians got some clues about it. If there is a God greater than any gods we have, and some of those Egyptians began to fear that God. What about the Babylonians, the Persians, and others who later on in the Old Testament began to see glimpses of there being something special about these people to whom God showed great respect that he had a purpose for them to the bringing of the hope for all into the world. Notice he describes it a little bit further, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. He's going to be a light to the Gentiles. And the glory of your people Israel. This is going to be their pride and glory. It's going to be their salvation. If they're going to be saved, it's going to be through this one. Like I said earlier, many of the people in Jerusalem weren't ready for that. Joseph and his mother, thats is, Mary, uh, May, that was Joseph and Mary, the child's mother, is the idea, marveled at those things which were spoken of him. These things are going to happen through our baby that's only a little over a month old. You sure that this child is going to accomplish all these things? But the story's not over. Let's look at it quickly. Then Simeon blessed them. They were indeed a blessed family, deserving of congratulatory comments because they had been so honored to be the caregivers of this child, Jesus. And then he said to Mary, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Who would fall? Those who reject him. Who would rise? those who accepted him. He would be the one that would determine the rise and fall of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. I've already alluded to all of the the derision that was directed toward Christ. All of the harsh and terrible things that were said about him. When he went about doing good, there were people who said he has a devil. Can you imagine that? healing people, bringing people back from the dead. And somebody says, he has a devil. Showing more sympathy and concern and love for human beings than anybody ever has. And yet there were people who literally hated him for it. He said, he's going to be a sign that will be spoken against. And then he inserts, in our language we have it in, as a parenthetical expression, sort of an insertion of thought. He said, yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Mary must have thought, what in the world are you talking about? Here's the prediction of the cross. Mary was there, wasn't she? Here is a month-old child in her arms. And she's being told, he's going to meet a tragic death. Your heart, your soul is going to be pierced also. But it's going to happen and all of this is going to take place that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Someone has said that you could take this passage and put a cradle and a cross at the ends of it. It literally takes us from the cradle to the cross, doesn't it? And indeed, the story of Christ has revealed the thoughts and intents of many hearts. It will tell us so much about ourselves. The heart that cannot be touched by the story of the cross is a sad, sad heart. The message of the cross has changed so many people. In the book of Hebrews, the word of God is described as a sharp two-edged sword which uh, pierces even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Hebrews 4 verse 12. How do you respond to that message? We hope that you'll respond in loving obedience. That you'll realize the danger of continuing to live in sin. That you will depart from sin through repentance. You'll make the good confession of your faith in God and in His Son, the blood of Christ that cleanses you from your sins. And that you will render obedience to the gospel of Christ. If you're an erring child of God, we hope that His love will draw you back to Him. When you think about all of the things that Simeon had to say about him, gives you an overview of his complete life upon the earth, that you'll come to him, confess your sins, repent of them, and pray that you might be forgiven. Truly, Simeon was an amazing fellow from whom we learned so many wonderful things. Come if you're subject as we stand and sing.